All right, so we're in Second Chronicles chapter 26. We're going to look at a story of uh, King Uzziah. I preached a message on King Uzziah a couple of years ago where I talked about the story called The Fall of Uzziah. But I just want to remind everybody about some things about this king and look at some highlights before we get to the main story I want to focus on. But in verse 4, uh, notice how it says, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians and dwelt in Gerbel and the Mahunims. But, and, uh, and then in verse 16 says, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Now, this is a really bad story here but uh, of what Uzziah is doing, but I just want to point out the fact that this is a man who is considered a good king. This was somebody who followed the Lord for the most part uh, during his reign. Uh, he's, his, his kingdom or his reign is summarized as good. We see that God used him. God helped him win battles. Uzziah was a saved man but at some point, he got lifted up with pride. And let me tell you, pride will take down anyone. The best of the best, if they get lifted up with pride, they're going to eventually go down. And so he, just, he gets lifted up with pride, and he goes into the temple of the Lord. Now, King Uzziah is of the tribe of Judah. He's in the line of David. Only the Levites are supposed to go in there. He has no business going into that temple. It doesn't matter that he's the king. Think about it. He's the king of Judah, the king of Jerusalem, and he's not allowed to go into the temple? No, he's not. You know why? Because that was the temple of the Lord. And God said only the Levites can go in there. But King Uzziah, for some reason, he just thought, I can go in there. I'm the king, and I'm going to go in there. I'm going to burn incense. I mean, I'm, I'm doing a work for the Lord. I, I can do it just as good as the priest can. No, he can't. That's not what God wanted. That's not what God prescribed. So this is a very big deal. Verse 17 says, And Azariah, the priest, went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. So Azariah does a good thing here, and he confronts, he confronts the king with 80 valiant men. Now, why would you go get 80 valiant men? Because... If he's going to do what's necessary to get this king out of the temple. He had no business being in the temple. That was not right. And it says, And they withstood Uzziah the king, and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. What are, they, I mean, what are these people doing telling the king what to do? I mean, he's the king. They have no right to tell the king what to do. Listen, he was the king, but he was very wrong. And even though he was the king, they were the priests. They were in charge of the temple. And they were right in confronting this king and telling him, you need to get out of here. You cannot do this thing. And then King Uzziah, look at what he does. This is what most people in leadership do when they get confronted by their inferiors, for lack of a better term. But that's how they feel about it many times. That's how they act. It says, Then Uzziah was wroth 
and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest and the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. So notice Uzziah, his first instinct was not to repent, but to get angry and retaliate. And this is typically how people in sin react. They, they retaliate. They get angry. That's what happens when you backslide. Remember, this is a good king. He's done great things for God, but he's been lifted up with pride. He's in sin. He's being confronted. And you know what? He's not doing the right thing. He's not going along with the law of God. He's not repenting when he's been shown that he's wrong. And you know what he does? He gets angry and he's about to retaliate against them. But you know what? Thankfully, God stepped in and God smites him with leprosy. And I think that's pretty amazing. But then watch this in verse 20. And Azariah, the chief priest and all the priests, looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. So now, not only is he in sin because of the fact that he's not a Levite, but he's kind of committing a double sin now because he's in the temple unclean. He's a leper. Lepers were not allowed to be in the house of God. And so notice how all the Levites at first, they were restraining themselves and they're dealing with him. You know, the Levites, they didn't just go in there and just immediately attack Uzziah. You know what they did? They went and they confronted him. They said, King, you're wrong. You're not supposed to be in here. The king gets angry. God smites him. But then when he becomes leprous, it was, this is so bad. Okay, and we don't think about this stuff. We don't think about these cleanliness things today. Anybody have to wash their feet and their hands and sanctify themselves before they came into church today? No, we don't worry about that stuff because the blood of Christ has cleansed us. And I'm glad we don't have to worry about all that stuff. But back then, these things were a big deal. And so when all of a sudden they see a leprous man who's not a Levite in the temple, no questions anymore, they immediately take him and thrust him out. But the funny thing is, Uzziah was freaked out so bad, he joined them. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to get myself out of here. And then they're all just running him out of the temple as fast as they can. And, you know, because they were scared and Uzziah definitely was scared. And rightfully so. He should have been. So once he became leprous, they, did, they take it to the next level and they forced him. And verse 21, and Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death. And dwelt in a several house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, uh, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. So notice, he's cut off. Anyway, he got cut off from the house of God. They told the king what to do. And you know what? They were right. That they Right? That is exactly what they should have done. And what I want to preach about tonight is holding leadership accountable. Holding leadership accountable this is a very important thing. And folks, this is a message. If you go to this church, you need to hear it. You need to know some of these things. You need to know some of these details. And you know what? I better never, ever, ever in the future hear anybody that was here tonight in this church. I'm like, I used to go to Liberty Baptist Church and, you know, it was a cult. and There was no accountability for the pastor and nobody did anything. You know, no, you know, there was no way to get rid of them. Listen, there is a way to get rid of me. If I get out of line, there is a way to deal with a pastor and we need to be, but a lot of people in a lot of churches, there isn't a way. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but even if there is, a lot of people just don't know what to do. And so typically what they do, they try to spread their will by just gossiping to everybody in the church, which is wrong. 
That's not how you get it done. But a lot of times they just do it because they don't know what to do. But it's very important that people actually know what to do, know how this is done. Now, I will say this too. You know, one of the reasons, major reasons for dysfunctional churches, dysfunctional homes, even businesses, government, is because of people's failure to follow leadership. Okay? Following leadership is a very important thing, and it is the reason for many problems in churches today and, and everything, because people are not following leadership. That is a fact. Okay? Now, I throw that in there as a disclaimer because it's very easy for like some tyrant wannabe to just, you know, swing the pendulum to the other side. And because of all these problems of failure to follow leadership, they just demand all power, all authority to the leader, blindly follow people, blindly follow, do as I say, and let God deal with me. You know what? Let's do it. Just, you know what? I should preach that. You know what? Yeah, I know a lot of preachers have preached that. Do as the pastor says and let God deal with them. Okay, you know what? If you believe that, if you believe in that tonight, okay, I, I, and I'm serious about this. If you believe pastors shouldn't be held accountable to the people and only God, then you know what? I command you to empty your wallets and give them to me. Okay, and, and, then, and you should just do that. And if I'm wrong, God will deal with me. So, if you believe that, I expect you to come empty your wallet with me uh, after church and give me all your money. Okay? I really hope nobody does. I, I really hope nobody does that. But I'm, I'm just trying. I'm trying to make a point. But it is, you know, when when you because when you do when you demand that all power, that all authority, often what ends up happening is then that preacher ends up, you know, or that church, that congregation, they end up tolerating all kinds of abuse, grievous sins. They participate, cover-ups, they turn a blind eye to things. And so, while following leadership is important, we do need to understand that no man has all power and authority. And there comes a point where followers need to step up and put them in their place. And when we fail to do this, we end up sharing in their sins. What do you think would have happened in Israel if the Levites had not stepped in and stopped Uzziah? I promise you, based on just the character of God and how we dealt with things in Israel, that God would have stepped in. And you know what it would have happened? A bunch of people in Israel would have suffered because of it. But here, you know who the only one we see in this story get nailed? Uzziah. When the people stepped up, we see many times other kings, they would get out of line. The people didn't stop them. And Israel suffered. Remember, look at how bad Israel suffered when David sinned. And he numbered the people. Even though Joab knew it was the wrong thing to do, he did it. And then thousands of people died as a result of it. And David's like, why don't you just punish me? Well, you know what? Maybe if the people would have said, King, we cannot do this thing. This is wrong. Maybe God would have just dealt with David like he did with Uzziah. And folks, if you put up with sin, if you allow it, if you turn a blind eye to it, then it's not just going to be me that suffers. The church is going to suffer. But I believe if the church does the right thing and they will actually deal with the leadership, then you know what? If that leader won't get right, God will deal with them. And then just he gets in trouble instead of everybody else. And that's exactly what happened right here. And so when you do, when you just turn a blind eye to things, ignore it, you're, you're participating in that sin. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty nine twelve, 
If a ruler hearken to lies, all his servants are wicked. And understand, a lot of times, you know, rulers, they don't do things by themselves. They've got followers. They've got people that work under them. And if they're doing things, if they buy into lies, I remember, you know, when I think about that rule, I often think about George W. Bush, you know, weapons of mass destruction, all these, you know, things that were supposedly going on. And then what's he do? You know, sends thousands of troops to go fight a stupid war that accomplished nothing. And you know, folks, that's bad for everybody when that kind of thing happens. That, that it's not just him. It's the people that he's over. And there comes a time when people need to stand up and say, no, we're not going to do this kind of thing. And don't even get me going on that when it comes to the subject of government. Our Constitution actually backs this up. And it is. It's, it's the right. It's the, uh, it's, it's the duty of the people to overthrow those things. And you know what? Sometimes that needs to happen in a church, too. There are churches that have pastors that should not be pastoring. It's like, what is wrong with that congregation? What, what is wrong that I've heard pastors say before, too, you know, if a pastor gets disqualified, you should just leave the church. Um, no, you should throw the pastor out. That's what you should do. Okay? And, and, I'll, and I'll say we'll, we'll get into some more details and that more specifics. But there's many examples of people in the Bible who held their leaders accountable. We see in First Samuel 14, 43. Remember the story when Saul, his men are fighting a battle and he goes and he makes a stupid oath that no one's allowed to eat. He proclaims a fast during a battle and his son doesn't even know about this you know, oath that he did and eats some honey. But Saul, because you know what, Saul's got to prove he's a man of his word. You know, Paul, Saul's got to prove that, you know, he is, you know, uh, you know, going to follow through with what he says, and i got to prove I'm not partial or respectful. for was going to kill his own son for something really dumb that he did. And it says in verse 43, Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him and said, I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand, and lo, I must die. And Saul answered, God do so and more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. And the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid, as the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, that he died not. And I say, thank God for those people. That would have been very bad for Saul to kill Jonathan. Well, you know what? Saul was the king. Saul was the military leader. Those people should have shut up, and they should have just followed orders. No, they shouldn't have. That was wrong. They should have stopped him. And let me tell you something, I'm the pastor of this church, but if I'm doing something wrong, if I'm trying to destroy somebody, if I'm trying to throw somebody out of the church, obviously I'm not going to kill anybody, but as a pastor, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to throw this person out of the church and I've got no biblical reason for it. Did you know you all shouldn't put up with that? You all should not allow me, because I'm the pastor, to treat another member in an unjust way. And if you turn a blind eye to that kind of thing, you know it's wrong you know that this is not fair. You shouldn't put up with that. Some, and, and it's amazing the things congregations will sit around and allow to go on with leadership in the church. It's absolutely amazing. Like, do you, do you people have, is it, you know, process in this church to remove the spines from everybody before they come to this church? 
And that's what it seems like sometimes. Man up, do the right thing. Thank God these men stood up. Uh, how about in 2 Kings 9.30? I love this story too. When Jay was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it and she painted her face, tired her head and looked out a window. And as Jay who entered at the gate, she said, had Zimri peace who slew his master and he lifted up his face to the window and said, who is on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs. And he said, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses and he trod her underfoot. Notice those eunuchs. Listen, she was a bad queen. She needed to go. They, the wickedness that she did and that her husband did was wrong. Jehu has got a rebellion going. And you know what he did? He recruited these eunuchs that were obviously servants there for Jezebel. And those three guys, they took her. They threw her from the tower. She splatters all over the wall. Happy ending. You know, I, I, I'm glad they didn't say, well, she's the queen. Listen, she was the queen, but she was greatly in disobedience against God. Her and her husband were literally provoking the Lord to anger. And when leaders would do that in the Bible, it always ended up hurting the people too. It wasn't just those that were in leadership. How about the story of the overthrowing of Athaliah? Well, we won't take time to read the passages on that, but you know the story. Uh, um, Athaliah, the mother of Ahaz, when her son died, she decided she was going to destroy all the royal seed. Why? Because she wanted to be in charge. Oh, and this woman just happens to be the daughter of Ahab. You know, I wonder where she got this kind of wickedness from. You know, when you see the family she was from, it's not a big surprise. But you know what? Thankfully, Jehoshaphat, she didn't care about the command of the new queen. And you know what she did? She hid Joash. She hid him. And then later, we see Jehoiada years later, they staged, they got a rebellion, didn't they? They went and they anointed Joash. I think he was only seven years old to be king. And then they announced him king. She starts screaming treason. Y'all are breaking the rules. And you know what? Didn't listen. Overthrew her. You know why? She, first off, she was not supposed to be the leader. Uh, you know, Joash was supposed to be the leader. First, she was wicked. Wasn't doing anything right. And so these are, you know, we could go on and on with stories like this. Examples of good leaders and bad leaders being held accountable. But you know what? I can also give examples okay if i'm the preacher that wants all power i can give a bunch of examples too of unjust rebellions and this is something we need to be very very careful with because rebellion is a very wicked sin rebellion is a part of our human nature and so often it's easy it's very easy for a church and for people in the church to get a rebellious spirit to be going against leadership when they shouldn't and so we have examples like that in the Bible. But at the same time, just because that often happens, it doesn't mean it never happens and that it can't happen where the leadership's the one in the wrong. Where the leadership steps out of line and needs to be dealt with. And we've got to understand that even leaders are to be in subjection to the higher powers. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says, Let every soul, except for the pastor, right? No, let every soul. Be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now listen, if folks, if I as a pastor, as leader of the church, I'm resisting the ordinances of God. If I'm up here and I'm preaching all kinds of crazy false doctrine, and then I, and we start pushing 
bad, unbiblical practices. And then you all are participating. Are you not in sin now too? You're supposed to be subject to the higher powers. Isn't Jesus Christ the head of the church? So isn't the word of God the final authority? And at some point, you'd think people in congregations would look and say, this is clearly out of line. This is clearly not what God wants. And we've got either got to deal with the leader or sometimes you do. Sometimes you just need to get out. You know, sometimes you might have to do that as an individual. But folks, sometimes it's not necessary for anybody to leave the church. It's necessary to get rid of the pastor. That's what, that's what needs to happen sometimes. But here's some very important principles that you need to understand when it comes to holding leadership accounts, uh, accountable. Now turn over to 1 Timothy 5.17. First thing you've got to understand when it comes to holding leadership accountable understand that it is a very serious thing and it is not to be taken lightly. Anytime you have to take a stand against an authority figure, God-ordained leadership, when you have to, when it comes to that point where you have to do that, you better have the fear of God in your heart. You better make sure you're doing the right thing and you better make sure when it comes to how you handle it, that you do it in the right way. Now look what it says in 1 Timothy 5.17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Now a lot of people act like this is special treatment that pastors get. And I'm not going to go into it, but if you go to the Old Testament, everybody's supposed to get two or three witnesses, folks. Two or three witnesses are for everybody. It's not just for pastors. Everybody gets two or three witnesses. So just keep that in mind. This is not special treatment that we get. That would completely violate one of the next things we're going to see in this passage. So don't receive that accusation, but before two or three witnesses. If you are going to receive... So that, here's the thing. If you have an accusation against me, that this isn't saying that there has to be two or three witnesses that witnessed whatever I did. If you by yourself witness something, you need to accuse. So who do you accuse to? Okay. Now, what we, what we ask people to do here is we have trustees in the church. We have, we have six trustees in the church. You should be able to get two, of, you know, preferably three, but at least two of them together. And just you know, call any one of them and say, I really need to talk to you about something very important. And it's about the pastor. And so if you can get one more trustee. And then or, and try, try to get three, but any two, you know, if, if you have to get two, two is fine. And then listen to what they have to say. And, you know, anybody who will take the time to take that, to take that much effort and seriousness into that, they're not just going to go doing crazy accusations. Okay? If somebody takes the time to do that, it's probably pretty serious. So there might be an explanation. Well, that's why you need to listen to find out. You need, and what you need to do you need to listen to what they have to say together. If you can't find a way to do it in person, 
You can do a phone conversation where you can do it multiple ways. There's all kinds of ways to communicate today. But there should be two or three witnesses receiving that accusation. We don't, and, and you, if you see something, you shouldn't just go around telling this person, that person, the church. That's wrong. But if you actually want to get something done, you need to go to other leadership in the church. Get any one of the trustees and, make, and try to get two or three of them together and listen, and, and they need to listen. Now, if those trustees hear it, then it's their job to confront me about it. They need to confront me with whatever I've been accused of. And if, you know, hopefully I've got some kind of explanation and it's not a big deal, they can let that person know. But if it turns out it is something that's a big deal, but maybe it's questionable, with, it, with, the, with the trustees, they should get together. And if they feel that this is a big deal, we need to bring it before the church. And then one of them needs to announce to the church whatever I did and if it's something worthy of me getting kicked out, y'all ought to vote me out of the church. You say, Pastor, I, I don't. I, I would hate that. I wouldn't enjoy. I wouldn't enjoy that. It would be very painful. And you know what? It would be, folks. That would that would not be fun. Do any of you trustees want to get that phone call? Do any of you trustees? I, I hope you don't. I hope you're not like man. I hope they call me. I'll, I'll get another trustee. Listen, I hope if that ever happens, you get that phone call. You know what? You ought to have a knot in your stomach. It ought to make you sick. If you hear it and it's, it sounds credible, it ought to, you know, hopefully it makes you want to throw up. And if you have to confront me about it, it, ought, it should be a difficult thing. You know, there's something wrong with you if you enjoy that kind of thing. There's something wrong with you if you enjoy that. And watch out for the person that seems like they're anxious to do it. There's something wrong with that person. And I can promise you... If you, if you have to do that, and if you as a church have to do something painful like that and put me on the spot because I'm not right with God and I'm not just going to confess it and just do the right thing and resign, you ought to get rid of me and I guarantee you it will hurt, it will break your heart, but I promise you God will bless you if you do that. I promise if, you, if, if, a, if a church had the character and the guts to handle things that way, I believe God would give you a pastor that would blow me away. I really do. And I think this you'd be a better church. But I can tell you this too. If you ignore it because you don't want to deal with the pain of that, then you know what you need? You know what? I believe you're all going to suffer. I think the whole church is going to suffer as a result of it. So you need... So the, so said accusations are very serious. And then in verse 20, them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. Now, let me just, you know address this too nobody thinks this means if a pastor commits any sin we rebuke him before everybody pastor i saw you lose your temper you know no okay it's like people when they preach this they all try to find a way to interpret this where they're protected and can never get nailed okay no when it's talking about sinning this isn't talking about a sin as any transgression of the law no, this is talking about something disqualifying as a pastor. Okay? If there's an area where I'm in sin or I've disqualified myself, I, I've done something that should get me removed as a pastor or kicked out of the church or whatever it is, if that happens, okay, if, I've, if I've sinned, if you've heard the witnesses, if it's good, if you confronted me and it turns out to be a fact, you know what you should do? You should rebuke me before all. That others also may fear. And you know what? 
I wish in the IFB world it was a place where pastors were terrified to get nailed for sinning. But you know what? A lot of times they're pretty protected because of all the blind loyalty in the church. And that's why we see adulterers, perverts, still pastoring today. Because nobody does this. Okay, now when it comes to rebuking, you know, who does this? The church or the leadership in the church? And it depends. Every church has different setup, scenario, and everything. But ultimately, you know, if, if the church votes, that's, that's the church doing that. The church is doing that, and you're beating me for all. And by the way, if it is some really bad sin, if it is something where I should never be a pastor again, you should make it public. You have to, if you have to get rid of me for something that is, that is disqualifying, you need to make it public. I am disgusted by churches that I know of that have removed their pastor, but they never publicly made known why. And then he goes on and he's pastoring somewhere else. Shame on those churches. Shame on them. I'm glad they got rid of the pastor, but now you just sent a wolf out and, and without yanking his mask off. You need to let the world know what's been done. And, and that's painful too. You know, nobody wants to do that, but somebody's got to do it. It's got, it's got to be done. So it says in verse 21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, do nothing by partiality. You know, it's pretty sad if as a church, you all support me and you all think it's great when I nail this one person, I, I nailed brother Matt, he did something wrong and we called him out from the pulpit and we threw him out of the church and that reprobate, man, I'm glad you, our pastor does the right thing. He doesn't put up with none of this stuff. Man, we throw people like that out of the church and then I do the same thing and then all, I get treated different. Folks, I should get treated the same way anybody else does if there is that grievous sin. And when you got a pastor, you know, he's all, you know, throwing people out of the church for railing, and then he's railing, that's okay. Folks, that, that is total violation of this passage right here. It, I mean, he's, and listen to how he says this. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things. Listen, you as a church, this isn't just us as a people. We've got the Lord that sees what's going on. We've got Jesus Christ who's the head of the church. We've got angels that are involved that see what's going on in this church. They're a part of this too. They see what we're doing. And when they see us as a church not doing these things, being partial, throwing out one person because they're just a lowly church member, and then we're letting leadership in the church get away with this stuff, don't do that. What you Folks, we have to do this. We have to be committed to this. And then look what it says in verse 22. This is proof it's still talking about the pastor. Okay? Pastors love them that sin rebuke before all, but they, you know, when it's talking about all of you. But, you know, pastors, let, you know, let's, let's be hush-hush. You know, let's give them that respect. Two or three witnesses mean two or three people had to see it. Baloney. Okay? Baloney. Again, remember how I talked this morning about how we create these rules and these guidelines and like the shape of them is the shape of that person? People do that with this too. It's, it's really embarrassing. Look what it says. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. And, and, and notice too, obviously as a congregation, you don't ordain people. 
And Paul's telling Timothy, you know, lay hands suddenly on me. Be very careful about who you ordain. But understand, it's not just a pastor that ordains somebody and gives them authority. But a church does that too. And you all, by being a part of this church and being involved and supporting this church, you are enabling me as a pastor. And so if I am out of line and you continue to support this work, you continue to financially support me and to follow my leadership, okay, then you also are a partaker in my sins. And that's not going to be good for you. So when, we, when you fail, you are responsible, or when I fail, and you, then you fail to deal with it, you are enabling me. And therefore, you are partaker in my sins. So you've got to do something. So the big question is, again, you know, how do you do this in most churches? Said, and, and, and I just I told you how it needs to be done here. Said, and if you go to a church where there is no process, you should probably find another church. Because I don't know what you joined. You know, if, or if the process is rigged. Now, this is what a lot of people bring up, too. Well, you know, they have a process. You've got to go to the deacons or whatever. But a lot of times you have a situation, too, you know, where the pastor's handpicked everybody. He's handpicked all the leadership. And he gets his cronies that are loyal to him. And, and, and I, I listened to I, 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 I saw a situation. I know of a situation one time where a guy did. He was a bad guy. He was a bad guy, but he had the goods on a pastor and brought it before the deacons and the deacons treated that guy horrible. It was, it was pretty disturbing how everything went down and they didn't hold that pastor accountable. That was also a shame. That was also, that was, that was also a shame and they just, they enabled him. And the part of the problem was and it did end up hurting that church because the leadership kind of protected the pastor. But then what happened in that meeting got exposed to everybody and the congregation found out. And there was like, and then thankfully a lot of the congregation didn't go along with it and ended up having a church split as a result of it. But the truth is leaders, the leadership in that church should have got rid of that pastor. That's what, that's what should have happened. But if, if a church does have a process be engaged and involved with it as much as possible. And even tonight, you know, our business meeting we have tonight, some of you, you know, if you've never sat through one of these before, you're like, this is boring. I don't, I don't get it. I'm not really worried about it. But you need to understand things like this meeting tonight are one of the things that help keep me accountable with the finances in the church. Okay? I need accountability and, you know, and, and, when, and when I say that, okay, I'm just going to be honest. Right? I'm not trying to brag right now. I'm, I think I'm pretty honest. And I'm pretty sure that if nobody checked up on anything I did, I would do everything, you know, on the up and up. But you all understand that if that's the system that we have, that is the kind of system that creates abusers. And good men can be turned. I could get in a financial pickle and get tempted. I could convince myself that I deserve more than what I'm getting. And I could start, you know, doing things to my advantage that aren't really ethical. You know, I, I, could, I could be tempted to do that. Folks, I don't want the temptation. And, and the thing is, even 
if I'm just as good as gold and I would never do that, that's a bad system for this church because what if one of these days I'm not the pastor anymore and the next guy comes along and he's not as good as I am? Then you, get, you know what? He might give in to the temptation. He doesn't have my willpower. You know, we don't need... There's, there's nothing wrong with accountability. So that's why we do these things. I don't need the temptation. So when it comes to confronting, again, if you are not able to confront the leadership with love, here, here's three things you need. Any, if you ever have to deal with me, I hope you have these three things in your heart. And that is love, fear of God, and a tear in your eye. If you're enjoying it, there's probably something wrong with you. Okay? There's probably something wrong with you. You're, in fact, you're probably, if, if you don't have those things, you're probably in the wrong. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.1, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, and the younger as sisters with all purity. Hey, and treat him as, it says, treat him as a father. You know, if your father did something wrong, okay? I mean, imagine if your father did something criminal. Would you enjoy turning him in, confront? That? No, that would be devastating. And that's how it should be. You know why? Because you love your father. And sometimes the right thing is a hard thing to do. But, and if you enjoyed turning your father in, man, I don't know what's wrong with your house. But you know what? You know, thank God when people do the right thing, and they sometimes people have to turn loved ones in. Uh, I think God always never do that. Remember, remember in the Bible when they talked about too, like if one of your family members, even your own daughter, starts saying, "Let's go serve other gods," they said, "Bring them before the congregation, and you're going to be the first one to lay your hands on them and kill them." You know that, and that, that's pretty hardcore, isn't it? But folks, we need to take these things seriously. Thankfully, we don't, we don't we don't have to worry about making that choice of stoning anybody. But sometimes we got to do the right thing, and uh, it, it's going to be painful. Not, and, and and here's the other thing too. Okay, let me just let me just say this. You know what? You know one of the things that gets in the way of holding leadership accountable more than anything is false witnesses and false accusations. False accusations, false witnesses, these things in the Bible were taught to be dealt with very severely. Whatever somebody accuses somebody of, they ought to get that treatment. That, but, you know, one of the things that I've seen a lot in my, in my ministry over the years is you have, you know, pastors, and some, a lot of times, you know, if you're serving the Lord, if you're making an impact, making a difference, guess what? The liars come along, don't they? The false accusations come. And because of that, it makes it really easy when a guy is guilty. Remember when I got accused of this? Remember when I got accused of that? And it's a real easy deflection. And sometimes we're just numb to it. Okay? It, listen, if somebody, if, if a news article comes out tomorrow about, you know, even Joe Biden, about some big bombshell thing. First off, he's the president. They get accused of stuff all the time. Second of all, they're not going to do anything about it anyway. But the the thing is, you know, when it comes to the big names, they get accused of things so much, we don't even pay attention anymore, do we? I mean, look at all the things Donald Trump would get accused of, and we just, uh, who cares? Because it's all the time. And the thing, and folks, any time that false accuser comes along and accuses somebody of something, it's going to make it less believable when the next one comes along 
if it is legit. So this, this attitude, too, that we have to believe everybody that the world's pushing, too, that's wrong, too. No, you're innocent until proven guilty. And so, you know, the, you know, you think about just some of these clowns that are always just out there accusing us of things. You know, there's this one guy on Twitter that's always, like, posting video clips of me and just taking the, He just did one recently where it's clearly edited, where he's editing out all these key things that I said to try to make me look bad. And I'll go and I'll read the comments and things sometimes, and his own followers who hate my guts have called him out before and see through this stuff because it's so obvious of what he's trying to do. And you know what? This guy, he's lied so much. He's misrepresented so much. If one day I actually do something really bad, his followers aren't even going to think anything of it because, oh yeah, well, it's that guy. And we've seen that with, with people. There's, they've, they've discredited themselves so much that even when they have the goods on somebody, nobody listens to them. And if that's you, okay, if you're a little miss false accuser in the church and you're always accusing people of stuff, and then you finally, you finally see something that really happened and nobody in the church did anything about it. I went and I, I went to the leadership in that church. You know, you, you, know, you go on Eric Skorzynski's podcast. I went to the leadership at Liberty Baptist Church. I talked to the trustees. I followed the process. I told them what that pastor did and they ignored me. Well, but here's the part that you're going to leave out. Of course, now I've been to them 75 other times about things that turned out to be completely false, but I still don't understand why they didn't listen to me. Listen, if that's you, if you're the boy who cried wolf, you you can't feel bad when people don't listen to you. If you actually want to have the power to take down the pastor, don't be a false accuser. Don't be a liar. Listen, save up. Don't be a complainer. Don't be somebody who's always griping about everything in the middle of gossip. The less you complain, the less you gossip, the less you accuse, the more power you have. The bigger punch it's going to have when you finally do come along and you say something. But unfortunately, most people, they have destroyed their credibility. You'd be a fool to listen to them because they're wrong so much. But they were right in this one. So, yeah, they, they, they got looking right. But we would be a fool to listen to that person. So, church, you know, so, you know, trustees too. And, and church, understand this. You know, if you ever get busted for falsely accusing somebody, and it's, and it's figured out, you were just trying to hurt, you were just trying to take somebody down. You know what? We're going to give you what you thought to give them. And if, it was, if you were thinking you were going to get them thrown out of the church, you're going to get thrown out of the church. Because you know what you're doing? You're killing the process. You're, you're killing the process and you are enabling me to be able to get away with, you know, legitimate accusations that come. Because, yeah, our pastor, he's getting accused of so much stuff, I just, I just don't listen to anybody. And I see why some people feel that way. But doesn't that, doesn't that just show us why false accusers are so bad? Why they are just, they are the, one of the worst things we can have in society. They do a great deal of damage. And so if you want it, if you want to have that power to take down someone, you must be clean when it comes to your accusations. Deuteronomy 4.41 says that Moses served three cities on this side, Jordan, in the sun rising, that the slayer might flee thither. Talking about those cities of refuge. I preached about that a while back, which should, uh, should kill his neighbor unawares and 
he hated him not in time past, and that fleeing into one of these cities, he might live. And if you remember, you have this, if you have a situation where somebody accidentally kills their neighbor, okay, chances are there probably weren't witnesses. If you're out there swinging an axe in the woods and it's just you and one other guy, and the thing goes flying off and it hits him and it kills him, there's, there's not going to be witnesses to that. And it says, you know, you would be able to go to that city of refuge if you were that slayer and you killed him, but you hated him not in times past. But what if I did hate him in times past? It was still an accident, but nobody's going to believe you. Nobody's going to believe you. That's why if you're just treating people bad all the time and you're hating on people in this church and then you go and accusing them, you know, isn't it interesting that it's always the people that you hate that supposedly did something really bad. Your best friend's the worst person we've got in the church, and you haven't brought anything to me about them. What's that all about? You know what? You're, you're not credible. And so, you know, this is, this is why. Just, yeah, you want to be somebody who follows leadership. You have a good spirit, because you're gonna, it, it gives you more power. And so, whenever leadership is being held accountable, it matters very much who is holding them accountable? Okay. So in, and notice too, in, in Leviticus 5.1, says that if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall surely bear his iniquity. Notice it was the person who witnessed it that was supposed to bring it up. Okay, Not the person that the witness told it, the story to. No, the witness. If you witness somebody... If if you witness me doing something, you should go to the trustees. Now, if you need to take somebody for moral support, that's fine. But don't go tell somebody else and then that person go. And and trustees, if somebody comes to you and says, so-and-so said they saw pastor do X, Y, and Z, then you know what the first thing you need to do is? Well, then we need to talk to so-and-so that saw it. Oh, they told me all about it. No, we're going to talk to so-and-so that actually saw it. We're going to talk to the witness. You are not a witness. Okay? You talk to the witness. So, a, fr- uh, a friend also has more credibility than an enemy. Because often people who are guilty of wicked sins, what they do, they preemptively attack someone who is their friend or who is perceived to be their friend just so people will think that person is retaliating against them when they call out their wickedness. And that happens too, a lot, where bad things are going on, and even amongst preachers, bad stuff's going on, a preacher stands up to that wickedness, and then what they'll end up, but you know, maybe they don't, they're not public about it, and typically what ends up happening, they will find a reason to publicly attack that person. You know why? That way, if that preacher ever speaks out about what we did, it'll look like he's just retaliating against us because we called him out so we're going to call you out first and that's what happens folks some of the weird stuff you see me get called out for that's why they got to call they got to call you out first oh you know like i said sometimes stuff's just none of my business and if i find out somebody's a bad guy i just want to walk away and you know pretend i never knew him but typically what ends up happening you get called out why because they're scared they're scared I might say something. So they got to take away that credibility. 
That is a very common tactic. That is a very wicked tactic. And I see right through it. And so then what they do, you're, you know, I'm now kind of this enemy. And so now if I speak out against something, yeah, he's just retaliating. He's just another hater. That, that's, that's what people do, folks. Okay? That's what happens when people get scared because they know they're bad and they're, they're afraid that somebody with credibility uh, might go after them. And that, that's what they're afraid of. And so, uh, you know, people, people have the ability to discern motives, and they often base credibility off that. We see in Matthew chapter 27, whenever the, uh, the Jews, they brought Jesus before Pilate, and they're accusing him. The Bible says that he knew they did it because of envy. It was obvious why he was there. Everybody knew why they brought Jesus there. But Pilate was too big of a coward to stand up against the mob. But he still knew. And people do. People in the church are going to know. Well, of course so-and-so is accusing the pastor because pastor just preached against their pet sin the other day. You know, people, you know y'all aren't stupid. Okay, people, see through, people see through these things. So if you're known for complaining about everything, then people will probably be unlikely to listen to you. And, you know, and also, you know, the newer you are to the church, the less you contribute, the more unlikely it's going to be that people will listen to you too. And, you know, again, so this is why there should be other appointed leadership in the church. And, uh, you know, we see, I'm not going to take time to read it, I'm running out of time, in Ezekiel 18, where Moses was wearing himself out judging the people. His father-in-law told him, you know what, you need to get some help. You need to get some help. Uh, with people judging, you need to get other leadership here uh, in, in this nation. And we see in Deuteronomy 16, um, you know, they, uh, they gave some guidelines for judges. It says, thou shalt not rest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift, for a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of righteous. That which is altogether just shalt thou follow, that thou mayest live and inherit the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And I, I, I skipped verse 18. Sorry, it says, Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. And then those next verses were, you know, some things that they needed to do. So you, we, ha, we, need, we need other leadership. We need other people paying attention to things. We see in Acts chapter 6, verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. A multitude of disciples! Instead, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that we may appoint them over the business. So they, they told the congregation, fine guys, seven of them, of honest report, people with a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and we'll put them over these things. And that's why we need to have people in the church that have that uh, people of honest report. Okay? Not the church liar, not the church railer, not, not them. Those of honest report. And a church has the authority and it should have the wisdom to decide the best way to do this. Okay? And there's different ways this can be done. It's going to be different for different churches, different sizes. There's a lot of things to factor in there. But any church ought to be able to figure out how that needs to be done for them. And that method will probably change over time as the church grows. And, you know, there's always going to be that one individual that isn't happy about something. But you know what? Everyone knows who that is, and we have, other, and that's why we have other leaders. There's always that one person. Oh, I don't like this. 
I'm convinced this is right, not from the Bible, but from a YouTube video I watched. And this pastor is wrong. And I confronted him. And I went to the leaders in that church. Listen, if 99% of the people in a church are in agreement on something, even if it's wrong, that's a good sign you should probably find another church. You're in the wrong place. I talked to a guy one time that was causing problems in his church because they didn't have soul winning in that church. But it was a church of like 150 people. He was the only person in the church that wanted soul winning. And, I, and he's right. They should have soul winning. But I just told him, you're in the wrong church. He hadn't been in the church for six months. He'd only caused problems since he'd been in the church. He told him about a fight he got into in the church. And I told him, I was just like, no, why would anybody listen to you? You just need to find another church. Who cares if you're right on this issue? The whole congregation is in favor of no soul winning. Get out. And you know what? There's churches where the whole congregation, except for maybe one or two people, is okay that the pastor committed adultery. I would just find it out of the church in that situation. You know, if, if the whole, So, again, just because you're that one person that you've got, you know, you are right, you are righteous in the situation, you know, sometimes, sometimes you do just need to find another church. But sometimes we have situations where the whole church, or at least most of the church, knows this is wrong. They know it's wrong. And you know what? In that situation, you need to do the right thing. You need to remove the leadership. You've got to get rid of the pastor. And so, you know, uh, we need to understand that even when this is done right, okay, and folks, just brace yourself, okay? Some of this stuff is unpleasant truths here. I'm trying to finish up here. If you all do the right thing, I don't believe I'd ever do this, but if I'm ever wicked enough to do something to disqualify myself, I might. And you, if you handle things the right way, there's probably going to be some unwanted and unjust consequences. And remember in, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in, in uh, Mark 6, John the Baptist preached the truth to Herod. What did he say? It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Because of that, it made Herodias so mad when she had an opportunity, she got Herod to kill John the Baptist. That wasn't right. John was right for confronting the king. And you know what happened as a result? He got his head cut off. And you know what? Sometimes, you know, chances are holding leadership accountable will result in a war and a church split. That, that happens sometimes. That happens. And, and because, you know, and, or in a lot, and a lot of times it will destroy the church if that leader refuses to submit. And you know what? But sometimes that's just what has to be done. Sometimes a fight needs to happen. Folks, if this church is so wicked that I could commit adultery or something like that and the church wouldn't be in agreement on what to do, this church deserves to split anyway. But, you know, hopefully I would just do the right thing and step down and try to make it easy on everybody. But you know what? Just because it will cause a fight doesn't mean it shouldn't happen. And someone who truly loves the church is not going to want to destroy the church. And if I, if I truly love this church, and I know, man, if, if I fight this thing, it's going to be a big fight and a big split. Hopefully I'd do the right thing and I'd step aside. But sometimes, listen, Uzziah, he was about to retaliate. Thankfully God stopped him. I hope God would stop me before I'd ever do anything like that. But you know what? Sometimes 
We're called to fight some battles. We're called to take some hits. Sometimes we're called to get our head cut off like John the Baptist. But it doesn't matter. You know what? John the Baptist did the right thing. And I promise you in the resurrection, John the Baptist isn't going to regret preaching against Herod. I, I promise you, he will not repent of that message that he preached. In fact, at the great white throne, when Herod's about to get thrown in, and Herodias, John the Baptist will probably be standing out to the side just like, Hey, repent! That's what I think. I don't think, he's repent- I don't th- I don't think John the Baptist regrets it at all. So it is, it's not an easy thing holding leadership accountable when they get out of line, but it's a responsibility that we have. And you are not guiltless when you're following those that are doing wrong and doing wicked. And as a congregation, we have a role that involves more than our presence and our money. And this is, and this, and folks, and this is why everyone should pray for leadership. You all should be praying for me. I don't, and I, and listen, you praying for me does not just benefit me. It benefits you too. It, 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 it's, good for, it's good for everything in the church. And you all should do that. We should be praying for each other. It's good for all of us. This is a huge responsibility and it is one that is being ignored in churches and especially in the IFB. And as I said, we've kind of asked for some of the reputation that we have. I don't want that to be the case here. We are not just the typical... We, we're actually independent, so we're allowed to correct things. And this is something that um, I think we need to be reminded of how it's done. So you all were here tonight. You know. This will be online. Share it with somebody in the future that, that hears this. And you know what? Shove it down my throat one of these days if I need to hear it. Because this, this is responsibility. This is not just my church. This is the Lord's church. And it's your church just as much as it's mine. And we're, we're all equal in the sight of God. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help to everyone. Lord, I pray that this message will be one that will never be needed, Lord. And I, Lord, I, 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 one of the reasons I even preach something like this is just to help keep me in line, Lord. And so I pray that uh, we'll all be committed to this and we'll remember these things that will be a good example in this area. And, uh, Lord, I pray that the people in this church will always be involved. They won't just uh, be watching a one-man show, but they'll be participants in everything that goes on here so we can be a great church for you. In your name we pray. Amen.